0: the truth news
1: network george soros funded organizations buying up conservative radio stations to silence them amazon and google threatening to block twitter if musk opens the platform to counter opinions seeing a pattern yet well they can try but the truth will always find a way and this is the truth news
2: network with your guide, Dan Newman.
3: Is it just me, or does it seem to you that more and more people are awakening to the reality of what's happening in our government, in this Congress, and in this White House, this administration? It seems like maybe, just maybe, and maybe I'm uh, I'm a little optimistic, maybe too much, but it just seems to me like more and more people are catching on and we're figuring out things are not quite what we're being told they are. How does all this happen? I'll be honest with you. It's because you and I are having our eyes open not by what we're being told but by what we're seeing with our own eyes. We're going to have some really, really demonstrative explanations and examples of those very things during the show today. Good morning, everybody. Forgot to say this. Welcome to TNN Live, live from our studios in Shreveport, Louisiana, and normally every day when we do this show, I have a sidekick right here in the studio laying right up on the console, and that's our little five-pound Yorkshire Terrier, Olivia. Well, Olivia's not with us today. She is um, at the hospital having some surgery this morning. And let me just say this. (laughs) I used to laugh at people that got attached to their pets. But I'm really attached (laughs) to Olivia. I mean, come on now. She spends at least two hours every day laying right there. She refuses to move every day. She never wants to get down. And she'll look at me. And you can see the questioning looks in her face. They're so full of life and they are so attentive to us. It's just really hard not to get attached. So if I ever giggle or laugh at you or at anybody else about their attachments to their dogs, let me just give you one example. She refuses not to go anywhere that I go. I mean, she's here all day, every day. And whenever I leave, doggone it, she wants to leave with me. So, you know, even though she's very small, when you go into a grocery store or even a big department store, they look at you funny. You can't have them on a leash dragging behind you. So I bought a sling. I'm not kidding. I bought a sling, and I put it around my uh, right, I guess my neck hanging down the right side of my chest. And Olivia gets in that sling, and the only thing that, People can see as her little head sticking out, <laughs> looking around. Uh, people take pictures and laugh at me, especially people that know me. But my wife is just as much in the tank as I am. Marianne is the one who took Olivia uh, to the doctor this morning. And uh, she called me to make sure I knew everything was okay. Yeah, right. When you get old... And your kids grow up and they move away. Well, ours haven't moved very far away. Our son lives in Fort Worth. Both of our daughters and their families are right here in Shreveport. So we're with them all the time. But when they're not right here, you know what I mean? When you're not right here, you're looking for something. Maybe you can't replace them. We can't replace those people in our lives. And don't ever try. Don't ever try. I was detached from my father for 40 years, the last 40 years of his life. His choice, not mine. I tried to bridge the gap multiple times. And just because I tried multiple times, I felt okay with it. It was disappointing. It really was. You know, you lose your father. Your father doesn't communicate and you know your father's not communicating with you by his choice. That's a tough one to get through. And it was tough for me. There wasn't a day that went by that I didn't think about my dad because early on we had a great relationship. All that, that's another story. I'm just saying we get attached to people and when those people, for whatever reasons, if it's normal, and most of the times it is, our kids grow up and they're going to go do their thing and we want them to do their thing. But when they all leave, our oldest daughter's dealing with it right now. She has four sons, two of them are gone. They've grown up and they're out there pursuing their own lives. She's got two of them left, one of them in high school, a junior, the other in the eighth grade. So she's counting the days when she's going to be an empty nester. You know what the bottom line to this entire conversation so far is about? It's life. It's life. Our lives are made by the relationships that we choose to enter into. With me, something as simple as a Yorkshire Terrier, my studio dog, my buddy, my sidekick, she's right there all the time. I've got a relationship with Olivia. And then our spouses, our kids, our friends, our extended families, life is made up. It's comprised of relationships with people. Is this going somewhere? What are you saying, Dan? I'm saying don't diminish your relationships. Don't walk away from any relationship. When things happen, just start skipping down the sidewalk, singing a song like this. Sounds skippy, doesn't it? start getting all the text and emails about that song the artist is a girl named Basha you may remember her I think she had a couple of albums out uh, back in the 90s maybe she's from Europe northern Europe great singing voice wrote all her stuff but that song is called Miles Away and it just seemed appropriate talking about a dog and our relationship with our kids and people getting away from each other. All that being said, it's not a sad day. It's not a sad day. It's a good day. Every day we're on the right side of the dirt. It's a good day, right? And we are, thank God that we are. So what do we have in store for you today? Well, we have a lot of unpleasant things to talk about. And some of it has to do with some things going on with people that were elected in many cases, some appointed in other cases, And um, they're in really powerful positions. And it's sad that we have to have these conversations. We're going to venture into the life, the public life, the servant life of Attorney General Merrick Garland. Oh, my gosh. Also, our president and our uh, joint chief, chairman of the joint chiefs, the military. And then you're going to hear from our secretary of defense, You're going to hear about some of these folks and what they're doing and not doing and the cause and the effect of all of that. Sometimes you got to dig in and look for the ugly to get some answers. So maybe you can, you know, take the obvious, what you see, what you learn, what you know, and turn it into something that's not so bad. We may not be able to do that today. But we're going to try. So I want to start with something that's kind of stark. And um, if you're a s- almost 70-year-old Southern guy, you look at this and you do the old SMH. Shake my head. I do not understand this. What am I talking about? Yesterday, activist demanded that the state of California pay millions of dollars to each black resident in the state in reparations as a way to make amends for slavery and subsequent discrimination. Uh, And this group is dismissing the idea of payments of $5 million per person as nothing and too little. This is really happening. These demands were made at an in-person meeting of the California Reparations Task Force, which was created by state legislation signed by Governor Gavin Newsom back in 2020. This committee was hearing comments from the public as it considers final recommendations to submit to the California legislature, which then is going to decide whether to implement the measures and send them to Newsom's desk to be signed into law. The task force is considering a proposal to give just under $360,000 a person to about 1.8 million black Californians who had an ancestor enslaved in the U.S., putting the total cost of that program at a paltry $640 billion. Remember, that's at 360000 a person. But on up into Northern California, the city of San Francisco is weighing its very own reparations proposals. And they're going to do it at the local level, they say. Earlier this month, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors expressed their unanimous support for their draft plan of more than 100 reparations recommendations for the city that includes a proposal to dole out $5 million each to what they say are qualifying black residents. The proposal would cost non-black families in the city about $600,000, according to Stanford University's Hoover Institute. And Hoover's Institute at Stanford's is a very credible conservative think tank. Both are ideas or skimping. On what's necessary to pay all this money to black Californians. I believe that $5 million in reparations is too little for the work that foundational black Americans have done for this country, as well as for other countries, one speaker said. I believe that $7.6 million is a number that can be used very wisely in our foundational black American communities. So what are those foundational black American communities. Well, they tell us that foundational black Americans are descendants of black people who were enslaved in the U.S. According to the Speaker, reparations are overdue for all foundational black Americans, both for the suffering they endured and for helping every culture get on their feet. The Speaker also called for various other reparations measures like giving 40 acres an attractor, and colleges agreeing not to raise tuition prices for foundational black American families. To try to keep holding foundational black Americans back from what is due for us is just another form of slavery, he concluded. It's preposterous and totally absurd. Another activist, identified as Reverend Tony Pierce, The Reverend similarly said, current reparations proposals aren't enough. Where's the money? Where's the cash? Where's the check? He asked emphatically. Five million? San Francisco's already made a move. Five million is nothing, and I'll tell you why. He argued that $5 million spread over 50 years would only amount to 100000 a year. And then with taxes, you'll be lucky if you end up with forty thousand a year. And so the Reverend added that two hundred twenty-three thousand for housing isn't sufficient, saying any black discrimination such as predatory lending is prevalent. Where's the money? he concluded. So let's just get right to the chase. <laughs> it's unclear how California would afford to pay more than $5 million to black residents. Newsom announced in January the state faces a budget deficit of about $22.5 billion for the next fiscal year. Then weeks later, the California Legislative Analyst Office, which is a government agency that analyzes the budget for the state, estimated in a subsequent report that Newsom's forecast undershot the mark by about seven billion dollars. Oh that's off a little bit. You know, five million, eh. Missed it about seven billion. Still, Lisa Holder, a reparations task force member, and someone who's president of the far left Equal Justice Society, vowed in a recent opinion piece that the committee's recommendations will be breathtaking. Last year, this task force made several preliminary recommendations in an interim report. Final report with the panel's officials' recommendations is due by the 1st of July. In San Francisco, which has roughly 50,000 black residents, the city board has expressed interest in various reparations ideas, such as a guaranteed annual income of at least $97,000 a year, for 250 years, and a home in the area for just $1 per family. Another idea, a comprehensive debt forgiveness program that would clear all personal, educational, and credit card debt of low-income black households. Just like California, San Francisco is also facing a massive deficit estimated at $728 million making it unclear how the city would pay for such a reparations plan. Now, some of you spit into your coffee a few times during that information that I shared. And there are so many obvious things that we can say, like what they want us to do. We didn't have slaves. You and I did not never enslave anybody. And so they want us, who never had slaves, to pay them who never were slaves for something that happened 200 years ago to people that aren't even around anymore. That's one very obvious thing to even consider. But here's the one nobody's talking about. Listen to what I'm about to tell you the 900-pound gorilla in the room that nobody's even noticing, or if they notice it, they're not talking about it, is this. California can never afford this. Never. It's impossible. But because California can't ever afford it, doesn't mean and don't think it does mean that they're not going to make these kinds of commitments to black people in California and San Francisco to black people in San Francisco. Why? Oh my gosh, they want to get this out of their coffers, out of their governments, out of their committees, and they want to shoot it upstream where Gavin Newsom is and what happens if they make these commitments and start making some of these payments and the money runs out. What happens then? Gavin Newsom gets on the phone and starts talking to Washington, D.C. And legislation will, I promise you, if these reparations ever get kickstarted, reparations will end up in debate on the floor of the House and the Senate in Washington, D.C. And they may never get to the $5 million number. But I promise you, They will do their darndest to get to some number just to keep the peace and it won't have anything to do with what's fair. It is never in any way even remotely possible that I, my family came from Europe. They came as indentured servants. What's an indentured servant? That's a white slave, to be honest with you. It's somebody that wanted to get away from Europe where they were, and their bosses, their people they work for, or whoever said, look, here's what I'll do. I'll pay your way to go to the new country over there. But when you get there for so many years, I'll give you a place to live with your family. I'll make sure you have food on your table. But what you have to do is work for me eight hours a day, seven days a week, and I don't have to pay you anything because you're going to owe me for all that I've done. Sounds a little like slavery. So what are you saying, Dan? Well, I guess maybe we need to get in this line if they're going to start doling out this kind of money. They have so much money, why don't I just get in line? It will never work. We are close to that tipping point that I believe it was Thomas Jefferson. It may not be, but if it wasn't him, it was one of our other forefathers said, democracy will last until people that are working and being taxed to pay for people that are not working, when the people that are working and they come to their senses and see that they're working to pay these people that aren't working and those people that make the money say, why should I keep working? And they quit. And then there's nobody. Nobody's working. Nobody gets paid. We're close to that right now. I promise you. Just keep that in the back of your mind in these um reparations conversations continue because you, like me, you probably laughed at this first couple of times you heard it, just like I did. It's not a laughing matter. Let's move on. I told you we were going to hear about Merrick Garland, our attorney general, testifying in front of Congress, and he got asked a really tough question or two yesterday in committee hearings.
4: In your opening statement, you said that you work to uphold civil rights. Uh, is the Sixth Amendment one of those in the Bill of Rights? The Sixth Amendment is one. It, it is, is, great. certainly a civil and, right. And you work to uphold civil rights for all Americans, is that correct?
2: Yes, that's correct.
4: All right. When the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution says the accused shall enjoy the, speed, a, the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury, what kind of a time frame does a speedy trial mean?
2: Well, the, there's two different ones. So there's yeah. the Speedy Trial Act. That's um, correct. Um, I used to be able to tell you exactly how long it took, but I believe the, at least the first part I remember is 30 days from the complaint. That's correct. Um, I don't. I think it's 120 days after that, and then there are exceptions for different motions for a speedy trial.
4: Okay, I believe it says uh, 70 days from the filing of charges of the defendant's
2: appearance before in a long the judicial time since officer. I actually appeared in magistrate's court to make that argument. Okay,
4: great. I'm glad you are well aware of that. Mark Hauk was arrested September 23, uh, 2022, and found not guilty on January 30, 2023. The jury deliberated about an hour. DOJ accused Hauk of twice assaulting the volunteer in front of a Planned Parenthood clinic and charged him with two counts of violating the FACE Act, freedom of access to clinic entrances. The arrest to the trial took just over four months. Would you consider that a speedy trial? Yes. All right. So would I. Last week, I visited the D.C. Department of Corrections and met with some of the 20 prisoners who were arrested in connection to the events at the Capitol on January the 6th. According to a Just Security article that came out on March the 20th, 11 of the 20 have not accepted a plea deal, nor have they even been brought to trial. Today is March the 29th, 2023. Attorney General Garland, is it correct that since their arrest, some of these individuals have been waiting approximately two years for their trial?
2: Like I, I don't know the specifics of individual cases. The beauty of the Sixth Amendment is that uh, each of those people is entitled to a lawyer, has a lawyer, who can make a speedy trial argument in the court. Oftentimes, lawyers ask for more time. Oftentimes, they ask for exceptions for discovery. There was an enormous amount of discovery in those cases. But I don't know anything about the particular cases.
4: Does the waiting two years for a trial meet the speedy trial clause of the Sixth Amendment?
2: It can if... The exceptions to the Speedy Trial Act um, are met. Those are the responsibility of the lawyers for those defendants to bring to the Well,
4: court. I would like you to look into that because, to me, I don't think waiting two years for your trial complies with the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution.
2: This is an argument to be made before the judge. The judge has the authority to dismiss a case for a violation of the Speedy Trial
5: Act.
4: You're absolutely correct. A judge does have that authority. You know, like you said in your opening statement, you work to uphold the civil rights of all Americans. I think in this case, their civil rights are being violated, and I would appreciate you looking into that.
3: So you just heard the Attorney General get asked about the Sixth Amendment. I mean, you would think our Attorney General would have intimate knowledge about all of the amendments in the Constitution, especially the First ten. You heard Merrick Garland him haul around, and you just heard about one particular trial and one particular person, but there are a bunch of other ones. Let me tell you real quickly about a political prisoner named Jake Lang. Jake has now been held in prison for eight hundred days, eight hundred days without a trial. Jake went to the January 6th of 2021 protest and rally in D.C. He went because he believed the election was stolen from Trump. Jake was one in a million Trump supporters who turned out that day to hear the president speak at the ellipse in D.C. Later that day, Jake walked to the U.S. Capitol where he was gassed and trampled when Capitol Police pushed Trump supporters down the stairs and Jake nearly died. The woman next to him was gassed, knocked down, trampled, then beaten with a stick by police. She died on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. Her name? Roseanne Boylan. Roseanne Boylan. You hear anything about Roseanne? Jake Lang was next to Roseanne when she died. He's a former wrestler, He was able to crawl out of the pile. He then went back and saved Philip Anderson, who was knocked unconscious just next to Roseanne Boylan. Jake was not able to rescue Roseanne, but he saved the life of another man that day. Jake was arrested by the Department of Justice on January 16th, 2021. He took swipes at police after they killed Roseanne and nearly killed him. Since his arrest... Jake has been held in prison with no trial. He's a political prisoner. This is the reality in America today. Early yesterday, investigative reporter and author Julie Kelly pointed out how D.C. U.S. Attorney Matthew Graves is working overtime to prosecute Americans for misdemeanors as legitimate criminals are allowed to skate. Now, let me ask you this. What were the first thoughts that went through your mind when I told you about Jake? You automatically defaulted probably to this. Well, Dan, we don't know all of the facts. To be honest with you, in a fair nation with a criminal justice system that states from the very beginning, everybody is innocent until proven guilty. Jake Lang is in prison. 801 days today hasn't been tried. And you heard Merrick Garland, our Attorney General, He went to the, well, you know, lawyers have the right to do this and judges have the right to do this. Come on now, tell me there's a judge in America that's fair that wouldn't look at somebody being charged for any type of criminal act in normal circumstances. If there are normal circumstances for committing acts against other people, but if there are, And these are judges, criminal judges, that see these kinds of things every day. 800 days, do you think Jake's lawyer has asked for those big extensions that Merrick Garland just spoke about? No, you know he didn't. And Jake is just one of many. Our buddy that comes in every Tuesday, Steve Baker. By the way, Steve Baker was interviewed. There's a story, a national story, published this morning in Epoch News. It even mentions me by name and mentions our show. You might want to take it out. It's a great news outlet. We use news pieces from time to time from Epoch News right here ourselves. Um, You might look into that site. They're pretty much conservative, but they kind of cut it right now in the middle. They really don't lean to the right. They've got some credibility. Anyway, all that being said... The story today, the interview by uh, one reporter that wrote this story and published it today, Steve, we learned from the story today, he's been contacted and told, he may be headed to a Jake Lang situation. He may be arrested just because he was there. This is the United States of America. This kind of stuff is not supposed to happen. Not to Americans. Simply because of that one thing. We are innocent until we're proven guilty. We have a right to a speedy trial. We have a right to post bail. Sometimes those things are changed because of the circumstances of the trial and who we are, flight risk and all those kinds of things. But to all of these people that are still in the D.C. jail, some of them for 800 days, what the heck is going on? And who can look into this? Who will look into this and get it stopped? If the attorney general doesn't even know it's going on, Who the heck out there has the power to get it done? Answer, the only other guy that could do something about it is sitting in the White House. And you know what he's doing this morning? Hey, should I run upstairs and get some more chocolate ice cream?
4: Hey, it's Garrett. The Poland Spring brand wants to provide more than 100% natural spring water, and they want to make a difference. That's why they're rescuing millions of pounds of plastic and transforming them into new bottles that are 100% recycled. You can join them by pledging to recycle your bottle, and for each pledge, Poland Spring will donate safe, clean drinking water
6: to local communities in need. Go to polandspring.com forward slash pledge to find out more. Select so sizes only
5: 20 M 700 milliliter, 1 liter, and 1.5 liter size bottles.
6: This is your home. This is your family room, slash gym. The guest bedroom, slash music studio. The day bed, slash dog bed. The living room, slash yoga shanti slash regional office, How did you guys do it? slash classroom. And this is the basement, slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home, slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app.
1: Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks. Just like when you were a kid. Remember the naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. In store some made's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar. And some maids new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious. All made with whole fruit. Sun-made snacks.
3: That brings back kinds of memories, good memories. Ride Captain, uh, Captain Ride by Blue's Image. And that's from a long time ago. Where'd that thing pop up from? Anyway, you remember yesterday we had a killer story and you heard a back and forth in testimony in the uh, U.S. Senate when Texas Senator Ted Cruz got a hold of, and he had, Homeland Secretary... Alejandro Mayorkas had him by the throat in that uh, testimony. It was wicked. It made national headlines, by the way. And we got input all day long yesterday about it. They were like, my gosh, why didn't national news make any big thing out of it? Maybe, just maybe, if we have enough time at the end of the show today, I'll play that for you again. It is probably the most abrasive, educated, intellectual, and necessary testimony i I've ever heard, ever, coming out of a U.S. Senate. We have another one of those examples today. It didn't come from the Senate, it came from the House, and it involves two people that are supposed to be the most educated, most learned people regarding all things military in our lives. That would be our Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, and the chairman of the joint chiefs general o'milly they were sitting side by side in a hearing and matt gates went toe to toe with them about several things and i'm not even going to tell you exactly what's on the line here but this one is another very meaty back and forth and it exposes two so-called military experts about what the heck is going on in our U.S. military today.
7: Mr. Secretary, you told Senator Schmidt yesterday that if the 8,000-plus service members who've been separated from the military due to the vaccine mandate want to reapply, that they're welcome to do so, but that you would do nothing to solicit their reapplication or to incentivize it. Why is that?
1: I think it's incumbent upon the individual to, to make that decision and reapply The mechanisms are there.
7: Yeah, but why don't, I mean, you're overseeing a recruiting nightmare in our military right now. These are 8,000 patriots. And by the way, your department broke the law in administering the vaccine mandate. And that's not me saying so. That's the inspector general for the Department of Defense who wrote in, on June 2nd of 2022, we found a trend of generalized assessments rather than the individualized assessment that is required by federal law.
1: The department did not break the law? Uh, the so the DOD,
7: so wait, wait, wait. The You mean the IG mandate, is wrong? You think the, the IG is wrong? Mandate he says paid he broke the, law. the
1: Lives of a number of. Uh,
7: of well, it ruined the lives of a number of people too, and it ruined the lives of people who love our country and want to reenlist. Let me ask you this question: If we direct you by force of law to reengage and incentivize the reenlistment of these folks with full back pay and rank, do you have the capability to follow that instruction?
1: You put uh, provisions in the law. Uh, To enable those uh, those people to to uh, those former service members to reapply in accordance with the service man service. Good. uh,
7: Well, we will do that just like we had to put the repeal of the vax mandate in the law. And I get the sense that the only reason you're not reaching out to these folks is pride because otherwise they would be totally able to serve and it seems that your personal pride is getting in the way. So going from the deeply serious things that we're not doing, re-engaging these 8,000 folks, to the deeply unserious things that we are doing, go ahead and put up the first slide. I guess my question is, how much taxpayer money should go to fund drag queen story hours on military bases?
1: You know, drag, drag queen story hours is not something that uh, the department funds.
7: Wait a second. That's actually not what the record seems to suggest. You were going to fund one at Ramstein Air Force Base. That one got canceled, but that's DOD insignia. That's a drag queen story hour for children. Then also at uh, Malstrom Air Force Base outside of Great Falls, Montana, you had a, a drag queen story hour for kids. At the Joint Base Langley Eustace, you put on a drag st- story hour on a Saturday for the first ever kid-friendly diversity equity and inclusion summer festival and at Nellis Air Force Base you had the drag you Nellis on June 17th who funded these things Mr. Secretary
1: listen uh, drag shows and uh, are not something that the Department of Defense uh, supports or funds
7: so. but wait, why, why are they happening on military bases I just I just showed you the evidence why are they happening
1: I will say again This is not something that we support or fund.
7: So you think hosting a drag queen story hour on a military base isn't supporting the drag queen story hour?
1: I stand by what I just said. But
7: but you may stand by it, but it's belied by the evidence over and over again. I mean, are you you aware of the uh, piece uh, Biden's military Air Force Base in Montana holds drag show drag queen story hour for kids in the Western Journal? Are you aware of that?
1: Again, I but, will say what I've said yeah, before. You're saying
7: what you're saying, but I guess it just doesn't comport with the facts. General Milley, this will be my last time to question you. You mentioned two years ago that you wanted to better understand white rage. And so my question is this. Did you read this book? No, not at all. What is, well, it, what, it, it is a, What is White Privilege is the book, and it's actually written by a DOD official, a senior official in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and there are now hundreds of these books in dozens of schools and i wonder if you guys connect this to your problems with recruiting
4: i've never read it never seen it um, i frankly i don't even think about that
7: stuff i think about well, put readiness. up the next put, go ahead and put up the next about slide the of the force. go ahead and put up the next slide please okay well in in the next slide this is a tweet by one of your employees in charge of diversity equity and inclusion and it's it's patently racist they say that uh, she had to give Karen the business that she talks about, caudacity, presumably of Caucasian people. So, I guess, terrible. why does the. Mi- I, I, look at it, I, Well, why is that person. You're not so going to an argument
4: for me. That's terrible. It's wrong. She shouldn't be doing that, period. Should she be fired? I don't. That's a DOD employee, not U.S. military uniform. Do okay. I, Should they be I, fired, would, Secretary Austin?
7: Uh,
1: again, as you heard in your uh, subcommittee here, uh, this, this incident was investigate it, and... Uh, and, and they're courses. still
7: employed. Mr. Chairman, I have a series of unanimous consent requests since my time has expired. Without objection? Uh, f- first is Joint Base Langley-Eustis holds drag show at Kid Friendly Festival. And the next is U.S. Military defends drag show at Largest Training Center as, quote, essential to morale. And the next is Nellis Air Force Base hosts first-ever drag queen show, Essential to Morale and Readiness. That's a Breitbart piece. And uh, finally, Ramstein cancels library's drag queen story time for Pride Month following criticism. Well,
8: Object. So, what are time times expired?
7: Can I just
4: can I get copies of those? Because I'd like to take a look at those myself. Actually, take a look and, and find out what actually is going on there. Because I, that's the first I'm hearing about that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't read those news stories. I don't know what you're talking about. I'd like to take a look at those because I don't agree with
7: those. Well, they're think, now in I the think official those record. Shouldn't be happening. Period. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that admission.
1: Great. I would like to point out, uh, Chairman, that uh, our, our students in DoDEA schools scored the highest on uh, the eighth graders and fourth graders scored the highest in math and reading in the country. So I want to thank uh, all, of the, all of our DoDEA uh, professionals who made that possible, and I encourage them to keep it. Our
3: n- ninth graders, they scored better in math than any other students in the nation. Did you hear the content of that back and forth? Folks, those two gentlemen, Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, those are the number one and number two members of the United States military leadership. Is it any wonder that we know factually, it's not even supposition any longer. Factually, Xi Jinping of China, Vladimir Putin of Russia, Kim Jong-un from North Korea, they don't give a rip about our military leaders because of stuff just like this. You think I'm the only one? that pulled this out and saw it? Don't think for a second that there wasn't people in leadership in China and Russia that pulled this off YouTube and sat around and watched it laughing their butts off drinking beer. These are the two studs that are running the military of the United States of America. Why the heck should we fear them? Why should we respect them? They're promoting drag shows, drag queen shows on military bases. Well, uh, that's not right. These two leaders, they didn't know about this. This was something that was being done by underlings down there, way, way down below. These two gentlemen are way above from getting in the weeds. This is stuff that, it's just meaningless. No, it's not meaningless. What it is, is evidence that proves Our Secretary of Defense and our Chairman of the Joint Chiefs are feckless, they are inept, and they've shown it again, and they show it here. Both of these gentlemen have been in leadership posts, other leadership posts in the military that have fallen flat on their faces And people have paid the price on their watch. Many, the price was their lives. What are you talking about? Well, what about the most recent one? Besides this drag queen thing, I don't think anybody died over those drag queen shows. Forget about that. What about the 12 Marines? You remember that in Afghanistan? Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense approved, personally approved, withdrawing from that air base, Bagram Air Base, and leaving all of that military hardware and everything that went along with it, leaving it there. And just before we were able to pull everybody out of Afghanistan, a suicide bomber got some of the C4 explosives hours, hours. You can track explosives and know where they came from. They did just that. That suicide bomber that blew up 12 brave Americans that were doing their job for, I don't know, Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, doing the job for these two amazing leaders, and they died because of decisions these two men made directly. With Lloyd Austin, you can go back a few more years, go back to, I don't know, Benghazi, when Hillary Clinton was running the show over there in the Middle East along with Barack Obama president, two things just kind of stuck out to me. One was, remember, we were giving weapons to those Syrian rebels that were trying their best to kick Basar Assad, that evil leader of Syria that was gassing the Syrian people. They needed help. They needed assistance. And so we gave them weapons. We funded them. We gave them money. We gave them weapons. Oh, after all that was over and the dust cleared, those Syrian rebels just happened to be ISIS. Millions of dollars of weapons we gave that they used against our people. And then General Austin, Lloyd Austin, he was the head of CENTCOM. That's the military that covers all of Europe and Northern Africa. And part of the Middle East, he was the big boss. And so when Benghazi happened and we had those amazing people down there at that consulate that had done nothing wrong, and all of a sudden, they're hiding in fear for their lives our ambassador. Nobody wants to talk about this. This was at a consulate. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even at our normal place where we go in and represent countries and build these embassies and stuff. It wasn't even in an embassy. We saw pictures of his body being drugged through the streets of Benghazi, laughing at him. You know why? As they killed him, physically beat him to death. He was gay. Lloyd Austin is the person that called off those combat special forces people that were in the air on their way to Benghazi to get these guys out of that consulate. General Lloyd Austin. Anthony Blinken, currently our Secretary of State, was part of that decision process in the State Department, as was Jake Sullivan, who was Hillary Clinton's go-to boy in the State Department. Jake Sullivan, by the way, today is our national security advisor. Doesn't all of this make you feel very, very safe? Like we have the best people, best possible people out there that we could ever find. Meanwhile, we don't have people in military. We're, we're embarrassing ourselves every day around the world. Nobody fears us. Saudi Arabia used to be one of our biggest buddies. They're building a massive, massive petroleum plant refinery in China. America is becoming the laughing stock of the world because of Biden and his picks.
1: Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live, the Truth News Network.
6: Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, The fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but When something breaks, can you afford to fix the touch screen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's gonna break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like i did and find out why car shield cars go farther rates are as low as 99 dollars a month so visit carshield.com use the promo code iheart to save 10 percent. that's carshield.com promo code iheart deductible may apply
5: i love a good deal <laughs> <laughs> i love finding gun deals like this because this
6: frito's chili cheese junior wrap is 99 cents i feel like they just marked it wrong but i'm not telling right sonic frito's chili cheese junior
1: In a world where a president can be censored by social media in his own country, you need a break from the madness. Your doctor of sanity again, Dan Newman. Censorship. Yeah,
3: that's what the Democrat Party and this administration are made of. The Biden administration has led the largest speech censorship operation in history by working with social media companies, to suppress and censor information later acknowledged as truth. That's according to former Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. He's going to tell the House Weaponization Committee about that today. Schmidt's now a Republican senator from Missouri, He's expected to testify alongside Louisiana's Attorney General Jeff Landry and former Missouri Deputy Attorney General for Special Litigation John Sauer. The three witnesses today are discussing findings of their federal government censorship lawsuit, Louisiana, Missouri versus Biden et al., which they filed in May last year and which they describe as the most important free speech lawsuit of this Generation. Their testimony comes after Missouri and Louisiana filed that lawsuit against the Biden administration, alleging that President Biden and members of his team colluded with social media giants Meta, that's the parent company of Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, to censor free speech in the name of combating so called disinformation and misinformation. The lawsuit alleges that coordination led to the suppression and censorship of truthful information on a scale never before seen, using examples of the COVID lab leak theory, information about COVID vaccinations, Hunter Biden's laptop, and more. The lawsuit is currently in discovery. That's where each side asks for documents to prove what the other side is alleging in their lawsuit. And today's hearing is expected to feature witness testimony that's going to detail evidence collected to show the Biden administration has coerced social media companies to censor disfavored speech. Some of the discoveries already, it's already been uh, passed over. And some of it obtained by Missouri and Louisiana show that the Biden administration's coordination with social media companies and collusion with non-governmental organizations to censor speech was far more pervasive and destructive than ever known before. Testimony's going to take that up in this hearing today. Missouri and Louisiana have been able to gather documents and depositions from federal officials as part of this discovery process, including a deposition of Dr. Science, Anthony Fauci, in which they questioned him on the COVID lab leak theory, efficacy of masks, vaccines, and more. Social media companies flagged any COVID posts from users that cautioned against receiving vaxes, discussed the lab leak theory, or discounted the efficacy of masks. Since then, The FBI and the Department of Energy have admitted that COVID may have originated from that Chinese lab leak, despite the outrage during the pandemic that dismissed that theory as a conspiracy theory. Missouri and Louisiana also deposed one FBI agent about the Hunter Biden laptop which revealed that the FBI deliberately planted false information about hack and leak operations in advance of the Hunter Biden laptop story in order to deceive social media platforms into censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story. Fox News, just one news agency, they reported the existence of some type of investigation involving Hunter Biden way back in October of 2020, ahead of that year's presidential election. And, of course, it became known then that the FBI had subpoenaed the laptop purportedly belonging to Hunter in the course of an existing money laundering investigation. None of this stuff was brought out. They pooped it, they buried it, and by the way, they still today are burying any of the investigation and any of the materials that are part of it as a broader investigation into all kinds of money situations that just happen to fall from the sky into the Biden syndicate family's pockets. Attorney General Landry, in his prepared testimony obtained and reviewed by Fox, wrote that through the lawsuit, they have uncovered a censorship enterprise so vast that it spans over a dozen significant government institutions. Those institutions, according to Landry, include the White House, the CDC, the FBI, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and the National Institutes of Health. Publicly, these federal actors have justified their deeds in the name of protecting the public against misinformation and disinformation, when in fact it is done to suppress disfavored views. Government officials cannot circumvent the First Amendment by inducing, threatening, and or colluding with private entities to suppress protected speech. That's the law. Shockingly, this is exactly what has occurred through this federal censorship enterprise. And Sauer is expected to say that evidence collected shows White House officials badgering social media platforms in private to censor speech that contradicts the White House's preferred narratives and federal officials routinely flagging social media posts by ordinary Americans for censorship. He's going to, Sauer's going to tell the committee that evidence shows federal officials orchestrating elaborate plots of deception to dupe platforms into censoring disfavored speech and engaging in meetings with content moderation officials of major social media platforms to discuss disinformation and censorship. And this story, it just goes on and on and on and on. This lawsuit is massive. Now as you heard all of the details that are being discussed right now, this hearing is known going right now. You probably thought, you know what? Nothing's going to come of this. Nothing's going to happen. These people are not going to be held liable. So we just need to throw in the towel and realize that we live in a nation that we used to look at places like Russia and say, oh my gosh, how could those people let that type of government happen? Well, guess what? Based upon the facts that you just heard some of, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, it's happening today in the United States of America. It's hard for me to even fathom that any social media company that wanted to be credible, that wanted to have opportunities to build a private enterprise, make a profit, you know, that corporate dream like Meta and Twitter and YouTube, you would think they would keep their noses clean. But here's what they did. Evil people that want power that want to shape and mold the political system outside of the ballot box? These private enterprises found out, uh uh-oh, we're going to have to bow to the political gods of power, kiss the rings, and give them what they want, or they're going to bust us. Well, how could they bust them? You know what's at stake? Nobody's talking about this. It's that Part 220 protection that the federal government gave first to Facebook and then Twitter and then to YouTube. What is that? Well, it's the same thing that they've given to Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson about the COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, indemnification from liability for any wrongdoing in their product. Let's go back to the beginning of Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg, he went to Washington, D.C. with his hat in his hand, and he said, look, guys, our social media platform, it's taken off, but we've we've got a platform where there is no restrictions of what people post there. It's wide open. They can express their First Amendment rights. We're okay with that. But many of the things that are being posted there create all kinds of bad opportunities for us to be liable for things that we have no control over. We need for you, the federal government, to step in and make sure that we're not held liable for what other people say. And so the federal government gave them that indemnification. If you want to sue Facebook today, of the content on some posts. They'll point to Washington and tell you, don't come out here to Silicon Valley where Facebook is headquartered. You go to Washington, D.C. The federal government legally indemnified us against being liable for anything that somebody else posts. Everything costs, though. Hey, Facebook, hey, Twitter, Hey, YouTube, you want indemnification? Guess what we want? We want you to step in and tip the scales of posts and posters on your sites that we deem are disinformation or misinformation ideologies. We want you to do that. And oh, by the way, the 900-pound gorilla in the back of the room, on the phone listening in, Nobody Wants to Talk About is Part 220 Indemnification. If you don't do what we tell you we want you to do, we're going to pull the rug out from under you, and the lines of attorneys at your doors serving lawsuits is going to be monumental. And you're then going to be on the hook, and you'll be in 24-7 litigation for decades. The love of money is the root of all evil. How do you get money? You control all the power. You have all the power, you're going to have all the money. You're going to be able to do anything that you want to do. That's what Washington, D.C. has become. No longer are we dealing with issues and making decisions based upon what's best for the people. No, oh no. We're making decisions what's best for some people. Those people we hem pick I'm Joe Biden. I'm Merrick Garland. I'm Chuck Schumer. I'm Nancy Pelosi. Hey, you want to be successful? You want to have financial opportunities? I'll open the doors for you, but here's what the cost is going to be. At some point down the line... I'm going to want something from you. And I'm going to call you and ask you for it. Make sure you take that phone call. We've known for years it's been going on. It's nothing new. But now for the first time, for the very first time, the light seems to be shining On not just the wrongdoing that we knew was there, but those who perpetrated it. Now, here's the big question. You probably know exactly where I'm going. The big question is is anything going to be done about it? Or are they just going to get together up there in Washington, D.C. to push it around? You know, like our kids, we used to give them a plate of food at dinner and they didn't want to eat some of the stuff, but they weren't stupid. What did they do? Instead of just looking at it and pushing it away, they would nibble at a few things, but they would push everything around on the plate, mix it up together to make it look to mom like, hey, you really didn't eat some of that. It's time for us to just face the facts and do something about it. And if these 535 people that are in the U.S. Congress If they don't do something about this stuff, let me just tell you this. This nation as we have known it, as our founders hoped that it would become 200 plus years later, is turning into a little China where top-down government controls everything. This crazy thing, this idea that was promoted that the United States government is going to be government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people, that was a pipe dream. It's over. It's over. And if it is over, the United States of America, as you and I have known it, as we have lived through it, most of us have seen it, and it's been successful for us in many ways, our kids and our grandkids and great-grandkids, they're not going to have that opportunity. You know why? They're going to be speaking a foreign language, learning it because they have to, to communicate with their bosses. You know, the ones that came in and took over the government. Those ones that People like Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, waved on in. Y'all, come on in. Come on in. Getting kind of negative today, huh? Yeah, I am. I'm facing facts, and I'm not really comfortable about facing facts. But when you face facts... When you face facts... And you base your decisions on facts, you can get some good out of some stuff if it's nothing more than feeling confident that you've done the right thing. Not ignoring today the Monday horrors that happened over in Nashville. I love Nashville, it's one of my favorite cities. Uh, I go there not real often, but I go there from time to time. And it has all the good things that we know about, a good NFL team. Uh, Of course, the country and other types of music are there. Real estate is, I mean, it's just, the whole city is pretty. The weather, they have four seasons. Uh, It's still considered to be a southern city. There aren't many southern cities that have four seasons. Most southern cities have um, spring and summer, (laughs) or just plain summer. Nashville's got some good weather. Nashville's got some good people. We're not ignoring what happened over there. We're not at all. But I gotta be honest with you, I, I refuse to get into the weeds and start pointing fingers and blaming and all that stuff. I'm, I'm past that. I'm tired of it. Do you remember a few years ago, A lawmaker, a sheriff from South Louisiana, he showed up on some commercials that ran nationwide. And he had, if you remember, he had a bunch of his officers and vehicles and the officers standing beside him, dozens and dozens standing behind him in these commercials. And he was putting the message out, you lawbreakers, if you don't want to pay the price of breaking your laws, you don't want to come here. And he was very brazen about it, and he had some success, and he turned that success into getting into politics. And he's in the U.S. House of Representatives now. His name is Clay Higgins. Clay Higgins, I like to listen to him. He's a slow-talking, and I don't want to offend anybody, and I have some friends that listen in that are Louisianians like I am, South Louisianians like I am. And there is a slang reference for somebody that comes from South Louisiana. Cajuns is the nice way of putting it. And the other way is Kunasses. And I happen to be one of them. I'm an exception in that I don't talk like I'm from South Louisiana. And I did. But when I got into radio at a young age and went through early part of my career in radio, I lost the accent. Clay Higgins... Has not. In fact, he embraces it. I'm not laughing at him. I have a lot of respect for him. Yesterday, in testimony about this stuff and all the ancillary conversations that happen anytime there's a a gun violence issue that comes up, especially when it involves our children, people get up and they pontificate. People get on these talk shows. Places like The View. Morning Joe on MSNBC, they try to turn anything and everything into a weapon, a political weapon that they can use against somebody that is not like-minded. You know what? Those moms and dads, the husbands, the wives, six people were slaughtered on Monday at that school. Three of them were nine-year-old students. And then there were three adults. A couple of them were people that were teachers and a headmaster. And one African-American man gave his life. It was a custodian at the school and the church. Their families are changed forever. And there's really nothing else that matters in the conversation or that should matter but that. Clay Higgins yesterday in Congress, he stepped into that world and that view. And I wanted you to hear what his thoughts are.
8: Mr. Chairman, today's hearing is to discuss our oversight of crime issues in the nation's capital. Before I get to my questions, I'd like to address something that seems to be a repeated talking point of my Democrat colleagues now. um, Regarding gun violence and gun violence being the number one cause of death of children in America today. You'll hear that a lot. Let me correct both. There's no such thing as gun violence. There's only human violence. It's intellectually unsound to state otherwise. And the number one cause of death for children in America remains abortion. CDC numbers, 620,327 legally-induced abortions in America in 2020. That same year, tragically, 4,357 children died from firearm accidental discharge, suicide, and homicides, and my heart goes out to those families. I lost my first daughter in 1990. Not sure how I survived, really, and over the course of my life, I've come to understand that part of me did not survive. Indeed part of me died with my daughter that day, and I don't appreciate my Democrat colleagues constantly. Lying to the American people. Referring to gun violence as if it's not driven by human violence. And ignoring the fact that America has allowed millions upon millions of children to be killed in the womb. Let's turn to crime. Shall we? Oh, before I get to crime. D.C. statehood. Democrats had majority control up until a couple of months ago. The House, the Senate, and the White House. D.C. statehood does indeed have constitutional barriers. Overcome that, you want to create the 51st state, knock yourself out. You had majority control. It didn't happen because you, you there are indeed significant constitutional barriers. That's a, meet, that's a hearing for another day. We've had many. Let's turn to crime, shall we? Mr. Pemberton, thank you for your service, my thin blue line brother. Considering the D.C. Chief of Police Robert Conte's testimony on February 23, 2023, stating that the D.C. Metro Police Department, is experiencing record low number of officers and recruitment is incredibly difficult. How might the D.C. Council's Comprehensive Policing and Justice Reform Amendment Act of 2022, that provision which permits activists and anti-police groups to search for officers past complaints, how might that affect your recruitment and retention of police officers? DC Metro Police Department, sir.
5: Yeah, well thank you. So first of all the bill has 26 subtitles in it and and all of them are completely detrimental to uh, retain keeping and retaining and and hiring new candidates. You're you're asking specifically about Subtitle X. Uh, Subtitle X actually creates a disciplinary database in which every officer's disciplinary history would be posted publicly, it would be hosted uh, by the Office of Police Complaints. So
8: that America understands this is a complaint not a conviction or a suspension, et cetera. We're talking about all complaints being accessible for public purview.
5: That's how I understand it. Additionally, it also creates a carve-out to FOIA exemptions, which allows any citizen to FOIA an officer's personnel record. Uh, And the only requirements for redaction would be their address, date of birth, and social security number. Um, You know, we have concerns about undercover officers and and officers, uh, their other sensitive personal information that could end up in the hands. That
8: would have quite a chilling effect on effective policing, may I say, as a former police officer. Let me just close by saying to... You gentlemen from the D.C. Council, it's going to get worse because the word on the street is not uncommon for criminals to, to leave their, their base of operations, their city, for a period of time when the heat is on. And the word's on the street that D.C. is a good destination because prosecution is virtually zero and crime is rampant. It's what you've created here, in this liberal stronghold. It's going to get worse. So what do we do? Wah, wah. Uh,
3: criminality. They're jacking cars. They're killing people. They're breaking into homes. They're pillaging businesses. We've got to do something to stop it. The violence is just getting untenable. We've got to make changes, or we're going to lose our city. That's what's being said. Meetings like this, which you just heard, all across the nation, especially in our biggest cities. Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York City, Atlanta, Boston. Crime is going through the roof. How do we stop it? A man much smarter than me said this. I sat and heard him say it. The day that the governor of New Mexico shut her state down, lockdowns from COVID, I happened to be sitting there and I had to flee for my life to get out of New Mexico. He was talking about being upset with things in your life, things that you just didn't like, bad relationships, bad job. You're kids, and you just don't get along. You just heard Clay Higgins address some of that, didn't you, about the crime thing? And what Stevie Smugin, this man, what he said changed my life. And you've heard me say it here. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You want to change something specific? Change whatever's making it what it is that you don't like. Change it. If it's a process, if it's bringing somebody else in to address it, whatever it is, whatever it takes, if you want to change it, be willing to do whatever it takes to change it, whatever you can do to make it change. Example, do I really need to go there? Think about it. Think about it. I heard this morning, this morning, a very nice lady lives in Washington, D.C., lives in the district, African-American woman. She said she was an appointee during the Obama administration, but you know what, she was calling in to gripe about same thing you just heard Clay Higgins talk about, violence, specifically in her town. She said, I've had in the last year two people murdered within blocks of my home. I walked outside and a car on my street was being carjacked as I saw it happen in the morning. People are horrified, petrified in Washington, D.C. And you know why? The prosecutor there has made it clear and has a record now in his rearview mirror of prosecuting only one-third of the the criminal arrest, those that committed these crimes, only one-third of them Are being prosecuted at all. He's dropping charges on every other one. And so crime keeps going up. This woman was testifying, not testifying, but was giving her story. This is an educated woman, a person that's lived in Washington, D.C., in the city for a long time. I'll tell you a true story. 15 years ago, things weren't bad there. We had a large hospital client, the largest hospital in Washington, D.C. I flew into town to go to a meeting. I did every 90 days, go meet with the board of the hospital. I get in a cab from Reagan, headed over to, and I won't even name the hospital, over to it. It's in a not a really good part of town, and I'm not paying attention to what's going on. I hear this pop, pop, pop outside. I thought maybe it was a a flat tire. And the cabbie said, lay down, lay down. That's gunshots. That's gunshots. It was at noon in Washington, D.C. You got a prosecutor that's not going to prosecute criminals and it's known that you can get away from this? Well, guess what's going to happen? Criminality is going to ramp up. You want changes? Change something. What's causing that? accountability your kid if your kid keeps stealing your favorite food out of the refrigerator when you've got your back turned and you want the kid to stop and you tell the kid the kid stop it stop it stop it and you turn back around and the kid's doing it again and you just shake your head what happens the kid will continue to do it why You want it to stop, you have the power to stop it, and you don't? If you want change, change something, change whatever you can change that's allowing the process to happen. And if that is, we've got a prosecutor that won't prosecute, change the prosecutor, And if you're not willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen, just sit down and be quiet. Nothing's going to change if you don't change something.
6: How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the government of South Australia. Long live the
5: courageous. May hey, God bless and keep you always. The tenacious. May
8: you always do for others. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who
5: fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork.
8: and the commitment to
5: outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most Coca-Cola, drink up.
3: Great group. Remember the original singer had that deep voice? You remember that song, Color My World? His name was Terry Kath. He actually uh, was in a room with fellow Chicago members of the band, and he was playing with a Code 45, messing around with it, and it went off and it accidentally killed him. wasn't suicide. It was a great loss. But they still, boy, they had a string of great hits. That one you just heard the beginning of was Call On Me. I think it was from Chicago 8, one of the biggest albums. Anyway, you got that for nothing. (laughs) Hey, I wanted to weigh in on something that uh, Clay Higgins touched on, Representative Congressman Clay Higgins, just a little bit ago you heard. And that is about murders, violent crime, violent crime, violent crime and murders. And every time there's a, especially a school shooting, We go through the same conversation over and over again. So I thought I'd give you a, a few facts. You've heard everybody, including Geraldo Rivera on Fox News. The number one killer of kids in America is guns. Guns, gunfire, shootings. That's not true. That's not true. Well, the CDC stats say it's true. It just so happens the CDC needed some brownie points for political purposes, so they decided in those stats to include 19- and 20-year-olds. All of a sudden, who jumps into that category about who gets shot and who shoots? The shooters. Well, how about gangbangers? How about gangs in Chicago, Philadelphia, Baltimore, San Francisco, Los Angeles, that makes the numbers just change a tiny bit. If you just include people in it, the stats, well, if you're talking about kids, just include the kids in the numbers, right? Guns aren't the number one killer of kids. Automobile accidents are. So what about murders? Where do we go with this? We've got the latest stats from 2020. By far, the largest number of gun deaths in America are suicides. 54% of them, as a matter of fact. 43% of all gun killings are murders. 43%. That's way too high a number. There's no question about it. And of course, this latest diatribe, that shooter had two weapons of mass destruction. That's what Joe Biden has labeled them, has for decades. They're not, and I'm not going to even go into that, but yesterday he said she had two AK-47s. She didn't. She had two AR-15s. AK-47 is the Russian version AR-15, totally different, is an American version. So what does that mean? Well, when you look at the uh, the numbers and we're told, I, I heard Geraldo Rivera yesterday or the day before on one, one show, and I don't even know what network it was. I don't even think it was Fox, somewhere else. He was spewing all of these numbers and, Look at this, and look at that, and here's what's going on, those weapons of mass destruction. There's no purpose for those at all. We need to do away with those. Only 2% of the murders that were committed, only 2% in 2020, came from those weapons that everybody wants to call weapons of mass destruction. They're not. But using those, throwing those into the mix, only 2% of them were used to kill anybody. So what does all this mean? It just means one thing. Folks, I, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of people that are supposed to be enlightened, supposed to be the caring, caring people Ones that have everything that's in the best on their minds for everybody they're talking about or that they're representing or speaking to. One thing they all seem to leave out of the facts. And then we have this ABC show that's been around forever. Barbara Walters started it many years ago The View co-host yesterday argued, not over gun shootings, but over which political party deserves the blame for school shootings. Co-host Joy Behar and Sonny Hostin, well, of course, who do they blame? Oh, Republicans, for the continued school shootings, breaking out through the country and accused the party of showing no concern about mental health co-host of the show Alyssa Farah Griffin, who's kind of a Republican, she pushed back, I don't want to hear one House Republican talk about mental health, Sonny Hostin said, because 210 House Republicans voted against the America Rescue Plan, which provided $12 billion to address mental health needs arising from the pandemic. I don't want to hear about it. Bayar argued that Republican Tennessee Senator Tim Burchett homeschools his daughters, proves he has no interest in increasing safety in schools. And then Griffin countered that mental health is a major factor in shootings, so the focus should be to prevent potential criminals from obtaining firearms. The co-host broke into an argument when she argued that the public supports background checks, for all gun purchases. Handguns have been used in mass shootings. They have been used to kill. Background checks, that is something 92% of the country believes that you need to have, background checks, Griffin said. Oh, not Republicans, Behar interjected. They don't believe it. There's a disconnect between elected officials. Republican Americans, Griffin said, 92% of this country, that's a lot of Republicans there's a disconnect between those and power, but they keep voting for the same people in the Republican Party who do nothing, Joyce said. Griffin pointed to gun control legislation backed by 10 Senate Republicans that includes Senators John Cornyn of Texas, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, to expand stricter background checks for people below the age of 21 and provide incentives for states to adopt red flag laws and mental health funding. She said the legislation is a significant step in moving forward. Hostin pushed back. Was it significant? I think it was incredibly significant, Griffin argued. Well, 193 Republicans voted against it, Hostin said. Griffin said incremental change is beneficial for saving lives. And then whoopee, she piped in. She claimed the same shootings will continue occurring if the AR-15 is not banned from civilian use. 78% of mass shootings, incidents between 1982 and March of 23, were committed by handguns. That's according to FACTS. The shooting at Covenant School left six dead, including three nine-year-olds, after transgender shooter Audrey Hale entered the building armed with two semi-automatic rifles and a handgun. The Nashville Metropolitan Police Department encountered and killed Hale on the second floor. That's all that matters. Stopping it is critical, but you're not going to do any good by just pointing fingers and going, na-na-na-boo-boo, I know you are, but what am I? And that's what's going on. The View has no redeeming quality at all. The only reason ABC keeps it on is they get some slight, slightly above ratings compared to the shows they go up against. Not good ratings, but they need something to stick in that daytime slot. That's the best thing they can come up with. Here's another one that just got in my craw. You know, I've been griping about all the money that we've sent to Ukraine. Not about the Ukrainian war, defending themselves against the invasion by Russia. I'm not talking about the war itself. I'm talking about more than $110 billion of taxpayer money that has been sent in aid to Ukraine. The Senate voted on Hawley Amendment Number 40, and he proposed this amendment to Bill S. 316. That bill would repeal the 91 and 2002 authorization of military force, this act that passed through the Senate. But that amendment failed 26 to 68 with six senators not voting against the amendment to the bill. Now, what was the bill, the amendment, all about? Hawley's amendment would create an office of the Special Inspector General for Ukraine Assistance. This person, this office, would be charged with overseeing the more than $110 billion in military and economic aid that went to Ukraine. Senator Hawley has often brought up that the amendment is not about one's support for or against aiding Ukraine which Hawley opposes, by the way, but rather is about creating accountability for more than $110 billion in taxpayer money. To fill the position, Hawley pointed to John Sopko, the current inspector general for Afghanistan. He's done a terrific job. Maybe he'd like to do this job. I mean, he already knows how to do it, and that's winding down in Afghanistan. Maybe he'd like to shift over to Ukraine. I think that would probably be my first choice, but somebody like him who's been tough, tenacious, and independent, Hawley said. So here's how Senate Democrats and Republicans across the political spectrum supported Hawley's amendment, including John Barrasso, Republican of Wyoming, Marsha Blackburn, Republican of Tennessee, Mike Brown, Republican from Indiana, Katie Britt, Republican from Alabama. Ted Budd, Republican North Carolina. Ted Cruz, Republican Texas, Steve Danes, Republican of Montana. Deb Fisher, Republican of uh, Nebraska. Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina. Bill Haggerty, Republican of Tennessee. Hawley, Republican Missouri. John Hoven, Republican of North Dakota. Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin. Mike Lee, Republican of Utah. Cynthia Loomis, Wyoming Republican. Roger Marshall, Republican Kansas. Jerry Moran, Republican Kansas. John O'Ulsoff, Democrat, Georgia. That's right, Democrat, Georgia. Rand Paul, Republican Kentucky. Eric Schmidt, Republican Missouri. Rick Scott, Republican Florida. Tim Scott, Republican South Carolina. Kirsten Cinema, Independent Arizona. Dan Sullivan, Republican of Alaska. John Tester, Democrat, Montana. J.D. Vance, Republican of Ohio. It's very hard to argue, Hawley said, that there should not be robust oversight, which is what this amendment would do. So I would hope this would not be controversial. So what was the final tally I gave you? 26 to 68. 68 voted against it. Six senators didn't even vote. Why? That's my question. Why? Do they not feel like, those 68, do they not feel like that the American taxpayer that's putting up the $110 billion, and oh, by the way, we didn't have it in the bank, so we had to go borrow it. So not only are the American taxpayers on the hook for the $110 billion, but it's going to be all the interest through the next decades that we have to pay, not on the principle of the $110 billion we gave to Ukraine, but just on the interest. We have to go borrow the money, but we're good people. The Ukrainian people need our help. Dunstan Teo came on this show and he testified. He didn't testify. This is definitely not a legal hearing of any kind, but he told us, and he is, if not the, one of the most knowledgeable cryptocurrency people in the world. A bunch of that $110 billion, you know, the cash. It didn't end up in the war in Ukraine. It ended up in people's pockets. And it was paid in cryptocurrency. 26 voted for the amendment to have that Inspector General oversight, to be able just to tell us, hey, all the money was spent the way it was supposed to go. That's all this person would need to do. 26, only 26 voted for. 68 voted against. Why would they even vote against it? They don't want accountability. Why don't they want accountability? That's the question. Why doesn't President Biden tell everybody, open up and give to the American people All of the details about this alleged financial wrongdoing by me and my family. Let's clear the air. Let's just shine a light on it and make sure everybody understands everything that I've said about it for decades. Talking about financial wrongdoing in my family, we were telling the truth. Why doesn't he do that? You know why he doesn't does it. He doesn't do it. He doesn't want anybody to see. Why doesn't he want anybody to see? How bad is it? And then the only question that really matters is will we ever know? Another Republican has taken on Democrats. This one over military-supported abortions. Former coach Tuberville, now a senator from the U.S., nation of Alabama, U.S. Senator. Tuberville has taken on Democrats over supporting military abortions. He's taking heat from Senate Democrats, you can imagine, including Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, for his hold on general and flag officer nominations. You're kidding me, right? Nope. Nominations for general and flag officer nominations in response to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's policy, which is to allow military money, taxpayer money, to be used to provide abortions. This policy was enacted as an apparent response to the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization Supreme Court ruling. It allows female soldiers in states where abortion is illegal to receive up to three weeks of administrative leave and transportation allowances to go somewhere else to get their abortion. Yesterday, Senate Democrats tried to push through the almost 200 nominations once again. And U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville offered no indication he was going to give in. I will stay here. Until hell freezes over, he said, I am not going to be intimidated by a campaign of selective outrage. I gave the Pentagon fair warning about this. They chose to go forward with this policy. Tubb, as he's known, argued his effort was about resisting efforts to force American taxpayers to pay for abortion, which he said had been a bipartisan consensus for more than 40 years. So, on the floor of the Senate earlier, Tuberville offered his justifications for his holds. Quote, Federal law only allows the military to provide abortions in very narrow circumstances. Rape, incest, and threat to the life of the mother. This is Tuberville talking, the senator. Yet, the Biden administration has turned the DOD into an abortion travel agency. They did it using a memo. It's kind of like Biden's executive orders. I can't get it passed legally, so I'll just write it down on a piece of paper and just put it out there and everybody's going to listen. Why? Because I'm Joe Biden. The Biden administration wants abortion, he said, on demand for not just those enlisted in our military, but their family members as well. This would expand the policy to millions of people. Now, American taxpayers are on the hook to cover non-chargeable paid time off and travel costs for abortions for our military and for their families. Tuberville said this goes beyond the law. We've still got a constitution in this country, and the constitution is clear. Congress makes the laws. The executive branch enforces the laws. Secretary Austin seems to think He can make or change the law without going through Congress. It would be irresponsible for the U.S. Senate to allow an administration to walk all over the legislative branch. Secretary Austin cannot change the law by memo. Congress cannot be replaced by a post on the Department of Defense website. Tuberville said, In December, I warned the department that I would hold their nominees if they tried to force abortion on demand in our military. They did it anyway. The department knew what the consequences would be. This was their choice. I will continue to hold those nominees until the Department of Defense follows the law or Congress changes the law. In the meantime, we should do our job and vote. Let me just say this about Senator Tuberville Tommy Tuberville he was a nominally successful college football coach principally at Auburn then at Texas Tech and then he went to uh, some small Midwestern city to coach in uh, Cincinnati went to University of Cincinnati I couldn't stand him when he was coaching at Auburn arrogant and there was actually conversation in Baton Rouge about him being considered to replace Nick Saban when Saban left and went to the Miami Dolphins in the NFL. And I was like, I will quit being an LSU fan if they hire Tommy Tuberville and get him to come to Baton Rouge. Well, that didn't happen. And I was pretty surprised. I watched his race when he decided to run for the U.S. Senate over in Alabama, and I wasn't for him, I wasn't against him. I knew he was very conservative, politically at least, but I knew he had a big mouth. (laughs) And I said all that to say this, hey, Tub, keep it up, buddy. Hold them. Make them do the right thing. Oh, my gosh. Isn't Isn't it really jaw-dropping to hear something like this happening from Josh Hawley you heard about a minute ago. And then Tommy Tuberville, both of them senators, and they're trying to get their fellow senators just to do the right thing. And we're out here and we're thinking they're heroes when every other member of their house the Senate, should be doing the same things. Why? Because of the rule of law, because of piling on taxpayers billions of dollars in expense that will not be repaid in our lifetime or the lifetimes of our kids. Why is it okay to put that kind of stuff in action? I just don't get it. Thank you, Coach Tuberville. (laughs) Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. Joe Manchin, you know who he is. We're talking about senators now for some reason. Joe, senator from West Virginia, he cut the deal with the Biden administration over the Inflation Reduction Act. I'm going to vote for it, but you got to give me something regarding fossil fuel. West Virginia is a coal state. Coal energy, coal energy. You got to do something to help us here. You're going to give us the opportunity to to get another coal plant in operation. Joe Manchin? Not Joe Manchin. Chuck Schumer? Yes, we will do it. Joe Biden? Yes, we will do it. Guess what? They didn't do it. They left Manchin out on the cold. All they wanted was his vote.
9: Welcome back. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin says he was betrayed by the Biden administration over the Inflation Reduction Act. In a new Wall Street Journal op-ed this morning, Manchin writes this. Instead of implementing the law as intended, unelected ideologues, bureaucrats, and appointees seem to be determined to violate and subvert the law to advance a partisan agenda. They are ignoring the law's intent to support and expand fossil energy and are redefining domestic energy to increase clean energy spending to potentially deficit-breaking levels. The op-ed takes uh, Joe Biden to task, Kevin. Biden's Inflation Reduction Act betrayal is what Joe Manchin writes. Your thoughts. Can you believe we added $8 trillion to our debt just since COVID-19? That's 2020.
8: On energy, it's a very simple metric that somehow is lost in the narrative. We do about 12 and a half million barrels a day of extraction here in the U.S. to be truly energy independent. I don't know why this is a partisan issue everybody, both sides of the aisle, would want independence on energy. We need to get to 18 million a day. So this act should actually figure out a way to get us to 18 million a day. So we in the U.S. control the price of oil in addition to what's going on in Saudi. This would give us a real power on a global basis. Now, why that isn't a, a, you know, a bipartisan initiative, I have no idea, because you could also put it in the narrative, we're going to extract it on a clean basis. Yeah. And we don't talk about that. I agree with, with Manchin on this. It, there's a problem here. We've got to get to energy independence. We should get back on that mantra. Well,
9: this is the White House's priority, Cheryl. I mean, this is an all-of-government approach to get away from fossil fuels to drive this climate change agenda. Look at this new Fox News poll, Cheryl. It finds inflation is still the number one issue for voters. Ninety percent say that they are extremely or very concerned about higher prices. Eighty-seven percent worried about crime rates. Eighty-three percent about political division. The poll also finds that 73 percent say that inflation has caused them financial hardf- hardship over the last six month. And what's underlying problem for inflation?
10: The price of oil. Yep. Energy prices. And this is we're going into the summer driving season. And this is when you're going to really see the rubber hit the road in particular with the inflationary pressures. And the the White House likes to say, well, we're at 6% for inflation. 6%. Your goal is 2% if you're Jerome Powell? I'm not sure we're going to get there. We're not going to get there this point. year, for sure. Yeah, And so, it's, so there's that part. But also, you know, I, I like that Joe Manchin is calling out the Biden administration. Yeah. And he does say there's got to be a place to negotiate. And Kevin McCarthy did, did go to the White House. Uh, you know, uh, the other leaders, they all went together. Chewer was there. Let's all get on the table. What happened to those conversations? Obviously, they're not happening. As far as inflation in this country, until we see... Uh, These 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 inflation numbers change. I don't think that I think to to Mark Avalon's point, we're still going to see pressure on earnings. Mm. We're not going to see growth in this country. We could see negative growth potentially. Yeah. Uh, You know, there's just and. President Biden seems tone deaf to this. Yeah, he's Isn't totally tone
9: deaf. Interested? And don't forget, Joe Manchin's vote was the vote that got that other, that last massive boondoggle across the finish line. Um, and he voted yes with the promise that the Biden administration would take on his his Energy Act. He says, when President Biden and I spoke before Congress passed the Inflation Reduction Act last summer, we agreed. The bill was designed to pay down our national debt and shore up America's energy security. It was designed to generate 738 billion in new revenue with more than $238 billion dedicated to debt reduction. That didn't happen.
3: It did not happen. It's not going to happen. And it's all about pontification. What we want, what we think is best, is the way everybody's got to think. <laughs> hey, guys, that's a wrap on Thursday. Thank you for being here every day. And make sure you join us. We've got some special stuff to end your work week tomorrow. We'll be back at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning as we are every Monday through Friday at Run TNN Live.
11: Yeah,
3: I'll sing it.
11: There is a world you know about when rules don't apply, no, and you can't keep a good girl down.
10: For a good time Gonna make that Shake that money On a dime Don't be a sugar daddy She can work it just fine Up on the table She'll be dancing All night, yeah, all night. Oh, oh. Baby no.
11: Six bices, six, shimmy shimmy strut, strut. give a little what, what up, on the table, so be dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey girls, let's show them how it's done It ain't over till we say, and we've only just begun Let me hear you say, yeah